Welcome to Boz to the Future, uh, a podcast that I started because I felt so often uh, these discussions are very broad, but not very deep. And I wanted to make a podcast where we take space for a smaller number of deep dives and get into those topics. Uh, I am joined today by a guest, uh, Stephen Sanofsky. Uh, and I want to call out right off the top, uh, Stephen's a legend in our industry, uh, tremendous and important career. Um, and that's not the way that I knew him. The way that I knew him was as my first boss's 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 boss. I oh, think. no, no. There's one le- <laughs> at least one less boss. At least one less boss. <laughs> um, uh, when I, when I uh, briefly, uh, for about 15 months, worked for Microsoft Office after I left college. Um, actually, it was a great job. I loved that job. I did have a chance to meet Stephen once in that job. Um, because I was the top bug fixer in office for like a month. And so my, my, the great prize was I got to go out and meet Stephen, which I loved. Um, and uh, more recently, Stephen's been writing a uh, history, uh, hardcore software, uh, a book about the early stories of uh, development of Windows in particular, um, that he was uh, not just a huge part of, had a front row seat to, and was a, was a major driver behind those stories, um, which is a real reference to Microsoft's first tagline, um, as I understand it, the recruiting tagline. Are you ready to get hardcore about software? Uh, so welcome. I, one of the things I do in this, I, and I invite my guests to introduce themselves because you have so much. There's a whole Wikipedia on you that people can go check out. What do you think is important for people to know about you? Um, well, first, thanks for having me. And, and I definitely remember meeting because those, th- those were super important times. Um, well, I don't know what's – I appreciate all the super kind words. I don't know what's the, the, the way the most important thing to say, but – let me just start backwards a little bit. Um, I, I came down here the very first time in the early 1990s when PowerPoint became part of my responsibility. You know, I was born in New York. I grew up in Florida mostly and went to a big, giant, huge suburban public high school, which had a big impact on me because you get everything in high school. <laughs> I mean, my high school had like a rodeo team, you know, wow. like kind of weird. weird stuff. Were you also, on the rodeo team? I was not, but I photographed the rodeo team. I like team, that. There which you go. We, we share that in common we as sure well. We sure do. We share a love of, of rare lenses and cameras. Maybe, maybe we'll get to that if we have yeah, time. Yeah, and, um, and then I, I uh, bizarre reasons, ended up going to Cornell, never visited, had no connection to it. <laughs> My algebra teacher in 10th grade who went told me to go. So I ended up there, um, majored in computer science and chemistry, which nobody had ever done, which – at the time, because chemists didn't really use computers. Um, sure. And I was, um, I was really, really lucky at every step. But the, the biggest luck was my freshman year was this just – I had used PC – like, not PCs, computers. Sure. Like, this is way early, 64K, CPM stuff. The PC came out – the IBM PC came out when I was a, uh, in, in high school, a junior. But my freshman year, I, I had one class that used punch cards – one class that used um, the the early microcomputer, a mm. DEC PDP-11, um, with a programming environment that became super well-known. And then I went home for Christmas vacation, came back, and 1984 was not going to be like 1984, huh. and Macintoshes were all over campus. Totally. And so that was like all my freshman year. It was like from mainframe to micro to PC to Mac. Incredible. In, in like three months. And that was just part of the incredible pace of, of school. I ended up sticking mostly with computer science because I completely sucked at chemistry. Um, (laughs) Chemistry's hard, man. It was right at the conversion of databases and programming languages. You know, object-oriented was sort of a beginning to to be a buzzword. And I uh, presented some work I had done in college at a conference, and the Microsoft sales rep came up to me and asked me if I wanted any software. (laughs) And I was like, what do you guys make? 
<laughs> and I'm like, I don't use any of it. I, I, and uh, like, we have a new version of Microsoft Word for Macintosh. I'm going to send you that. So they, they sent me this version of Word and it crashed like in, immediately. <laughs> I later found it was Microsoft Mac Word version three, which was like the most perfect, beautiful, rewrite, architected, amazing. And it was super, super buggy. It was the only product Microsoft ever recalled. Sure. Sent my resume into the address on the box of the software How that funny. they had sent me. 24 hours later, the recruiter calls. Amazing. You know, 48 hours later, I'm on a plane, you know, to to Redmond. I got to check the mailbox on our Quest packages and see if there's like, if there's resumes in there. Well, you got to find out the address. I got to see, like, see what, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I actually, in hardcore software, I have like a whole story about, about, um, about being, about recruiting and, you know, Bill used to call candidates and he, you know, basically just made fun of every job I wanted to have. And then <laughs> I could have had, and then sold me on Microsoft on everything I wouldn't be working on. Like he's like, oh, we're doing multimedia, you know, CD-ROMs, yeah. like operating systems and word processors, word processor, he calls them. And I was going to work on development tools, which he didn't even mention. That's amazing. So I worked on C++, which was a new language at the time, and the first C++ compilers. And after that, then I went back and worked for Bill as his technical assistant, which was kind of a weird job. There was a guy before me who was the original uh, program manager, which we call product manager now, on, on uh, Microsoft Money. And... Uh, and then I, after that, I went. I joined Office yeah. and had various roles. Met an important, an upcoming, and an upstanding young gentleman at that in that role. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. A very critical juncture. <laughs> Just kidding. I did. It was uh, that was that was. I moved in like '94, but we didn't meet until ten years later. Right? Not not until not until ten years later. I was there at 2014. That's right. 20, 2004. 2004. I, yeah, I know yeah. what ten years is. The only thing I wasn't sure is did did you come to any of my recruiting events? Because I went I go went to go Harvard like every year. Um, so. Yeah, I came to one of your recruiting events. Uh, That's probably the first time I saw you live. You, you spoke in the Maxwell Dworkin building, named for Bill. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and uh, and that might have even been the first time that parents. that building. That would have been very early. In it was the early. On. Yeah, it yeah. was early on. We, we were the first class to get in there. Yeah, yeah. And then my first all hands was a was a legendary one. I will never forget it. it. Was the first time I went to an office all hands, and you. At this point, clearly already knew that Vista was not going to make it. Oh, God. Because you had said, listen, you guys, you may hear Vista trying to get us to, to link up with them. We're not going to do it. That thing's never going to go come together. <laughs> We're on our own path. Do not let, do not accept any dependencies on, on Windows Vista. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this place is different. I, got, <laughs> this is, I, like, I like this guy. This is, this is my kind of leader. Yeah, I got, um, I got in a lot of trouble for stuff like that <laughs> yeah well, you, well it was, you ended up being right in the end so i suppose that worked out for the you yeah. so so you were office for a long time yeah i was office for what we used to call releases which yeah. were 24 to 36 months long uh the last release of 16-bit office then office 95 97 2000 yeah. 2002 which is office xp 2003 and then i Mostly, most of, like ninety percent of Office two thousand seven. Yeah. But I left in the middle of that in in two thousand six to go to Windows. Sure. And then from there we did Windows seven, Windows eight, Surface, all the online services that were like called back then Hotmail, which changed to Outlook, OneDrive, which or SkyDrive, which changed to OneDrive. OneDrive, Messenger, which was a huge, huge thing that then became a not huge thing. Yeah. And I remember using Messenger for sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody. It was like. MS, we had a verb, like we, MSN me was totally. like a thing, mostly outside the U.S., but it was a huge thing. And actually super interesting at Relevant was that it sort of got, it got arbitraged. It was, ar it was used for arbitrage against mobile phone companies mm -hmm. in Europe because you could 
use uh, Wi-Fi on your phone yeah, sure. instead of sending SMS, which they were charging for back then. Yeah, totally. It was the same play that BBM ran and then it, the same it, play that WhatsApp ultimately right, ran. Right, but we didn't do that on purpose. Like, people were building, like, these rogue clients yeah, for, like, Beeper or whatever. But to go for, over the top. For Nokia feature phones, basically. Yeah, because they used to, in Europe, they were charging, you know, what, three cents a text or something. Right, like right. Like and, usurious rate. And so, and then we were like, we have to stop this. And yeah. then we stopped it, and then nobody used us anymore. Oh, no. So. <laughs> That's right. This, this BBM, I think, could have had this opportunity as exactly. well to, like, own mobile messaging. BBM could have been WhatsApp. Uh, and arguably more valuable well, and, than they were at the height of BlackBerry. They, and they could have done it with the 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 connector they built for Exchange, That's right. enterprise messaging, which they kind of did later. Which is essentially what the, what Accompli, which was Outlook that Microsoft acquired. For, yeah. for mobile, so yeah, that's essentially right. that. And so, um, and now I'm here. And well, what's important about being here, I'd say, is yeah. So the reason I'm, I'm so thrilled that we went through that because for the audience, um, you're somebody who look. There's lots of people who uh, lived through the same period of technology. Uh, you had an uncommon front row and in some cases driver's seat to that path, which is also, I think, uncommon. But you've now taken the time over the last couple of years um, as you're doing work with Andreessen Horowitz and you're consulting on boards and you're advising companies. You've taken the time to go back through um, all these critical moments in your own uh, experience and also just in general in the history of our industry to bring a modern perspective on that, which I think is so rare. I don't see very many people doing that. And I've really enjoyed... Um, reading along, I'm kind of curious for you, what do you see as the most relevant lessons that recur over the course of, of your kind of looking back over hardcore software? Well, so that, so I tried, I set out to just write, like, I didn't really want to write a biography as much as I wanted to write a trusted history of what I lived through, Sure, which is sort of a hair splitting in some sense. But, well, I think for me, First, there's, there are a couple, two big differences between, like, say, present day and the past, which I get tripped up on when I talk to people a lot because they don't think of it. First is, like, literally nothing worked. Like, <laughs> like for the first 30 years of using a personal computer, like, yeah. it just, it basically, it barely, barely worked. And, yeah. in fact, Microsoft's competitive advantage was, by and large, like, Office worked. Like, I mean, if you were around in 1997, you would laugh at that statement because it was constantly <laughs> making fun of lost documents, crashes, corrupt files, like weird memory errors and all that stuff. But by and large, like, we made it work. But it was enormously difficult to, to just get the very basics of anything working. Yeah, and, totally. like, nothing symbolizes that more than just Microsoft's main email product, Exchange, which is, like, the backbone of, of Microsoft 365 now, which is, like, it, it, it took like a team of, of like tens of people at Microsoft to run the pilot and then a hundred <laughs> people to run it for the whole company full time, just constantly just putting fires out, just managing like it. trying yeah, totally. to keep the thing from exploding. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and on the PC, just on the device level, like, you know, disk drives, like, you know, you could watch the YouTubes and the TikToks of like booting a Windows 98 machine with all those noises and the I clunking. Saw that. And, the and, and like I, my first computer, I, I, I brought a screwdriver to college because I had to adjust the rheostat on the floppy disk drive <laughs> with like a tuning program to make sure it spun at the right RPMs. And Amazing. it would just slip over like the course of the semester. It would slow down <laughs> or speed up. And, and then it would just eat your file if totally. that happened. You know, like networks. Like my first day at Microsoft was occupied by what we just affectionately called the ping of death. And the ping <laughs> of death was just like you boot your computer and then you heard this. And that was just the network not connecting to anything. 
and, <laughs> and there's like nothing you could do but power cycle your machine. And then you're just hosed because you, the only thing that saved us is what email was on a whole different network <laughs> oh and God. a different, like a, a dumb terminal, a Xenix, yeah. which is Linux yeah. terminal. And then you could mail the help desk people and a person with a cart would show up and <laughs> with a whole rack of floppies and try to boot your machine Amazing. and change jumpers on your network cable or whatever. Or, you know, displays. Like I wrote in Hardcore Software, I wrote about this book called uh, this bug called Sindogs, it was Sindogs. And that was this strange text that would show up on the on your screen in Excel randomly during the development of Windows 3.0. And like months and months went by, it that being some weird file read write bug, like memory corruption, yeah. bizarre thing. That so just, some kind of deep re overwrite in the, yeah, that took, in the memory display stack. Six months yeah, to find, totally. you know? And so nothing worked. But the other thing was that, um, there was, there's just a huge difference in building a product for an audience that doesn't yet have anything. Mm. So like, you know, you, you could show up in an office like I did. My, in between the summers, I worked at a defense contractor in Orlando, Martin Marietta, that built like sure. Pershing missiles and stuff. And like I wheeled the first computers that could fit into an office, into <laughs> the offices of these people. And like some of the people like had no – like some general with a bunch of medals and stuff <laughs> had no idea what to do with the computer. But like people who like did – word processing were like it was like a godsend yeah it was like totally. a mirror. even though it didn't work it worked way better than the thirty thousand sure. dollars dedicated wang word processor sure and so but once there's an installed base then it's a whole different game and so yeah. we part of the fun was riding this curve like maybe until about 2000 you know the microsoft's vision bill and paul was like a computer on every desk that's right and in every home running microsoft software well it turns out that's achievable which like, at the time, seemed impossible. It seemed completely. It was ludicrous at the it time. Was, it was just. I mean, this is a world where even it was not true. But the rumor was that you know IBM thought they had projections for fifty thousand PCs to be sold, which totally. they sold that many in the first six months. Yeah. But like, so that those are two big differences, and like one of the big challenges today that everyone faces is that for just about everything you can introduce. There's like an alternative. Yeah, totally. And, and in fact, the alternative is to just not do anything. That's right. And we face that. I write, I wrote tons and tons. Like from 2000 to uh, I left, like the alternative to buying a new computer was to not buy a new computer. Right. And your world would be no worse off. Right, totally. And so it's a whole different. And then, you know, you can really, really see that. Like a, a great example, and I'm wearing one now, was like when Apple Watch launched. You know, Apple Watch launches, and everybody immediately is like, well, I have a phone. right. And so you're right away. You're up against this, like, well, do, are we selling it to replace the phone? Yeah. And then right. everybody's really cynical about your positioning, you know. And even Steve Jobs at the launch of the iPhone tackled this head on by like, That's right. this is the best phone you've ever had, the best That's internet music. device, and the best music player. That's right. And so you had to replace the iPod, <laughs> which everybody loved. Totally. And so, but then, like, huge, like, you know, it's very hard when you're old. You see these patterns. And, you, you know, kids don't want you to see a pattern. They want everything <laughs> that they're experiencing to be new and different right, and better right. than you experienced it. And it's certainly more difficult. Like, you yeah. know, and I'm like, we, we walked uphill both ways. Plus, we had to carry a soldering iron. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, there was no using a PDP-11 without, like, soldering. Yeah, it's so, amazing. So, but the thing that's the, that I keep seeing over and over and over again is, is, like, the technology landscape is made up of platforms and apps. And like this is to me just such an important concept mm. in how you approach building products and and thinking about even what to build. And it's really a difference between building a platform and building an app. Totally. Like you build a platform, 
and and like you're building something that you need other people to bet on totally and like to do that you can't show up with it done and then say bet on it because by then they've already figured out some other solution sure. and they've already moved on and so you're totally out over your skis and, and so then i start to think about like okay you're working on the pc and you've got to go help all the PC companies make new computers, and they have to be compatible with DOS. So, so you're flying to Taiwan, and you're explaining to some company you never heard of in a language that they barely understand how to write a BIOS. Right, totally. And you're, like, evangelizing PC-compatible BIOSes <laughs> right. to these companies that are basically on the edge of violating IBM's intellectual property <laughs> at every given moment. As carefully as they can. And, and, and like, they don't care. Yeah, totally. They just, and they have other things. And then, you know, okay, now we need, like, everybody stop and build, like, VGA graphics cards. Yeah. And, like, okay, but we don't need, v nobody's buying those from us. No, we're going to go create the market. And then you need to go to a company like Aldis, which is the company yeah. that made PageMaker, which is Adobe now, and you're like, look, instead of doing it all your own, you should let us do the menus and the clipboard right. and printer support. And they're like, why would we want to do that? We're perfect in particular. Like, that's our competitive advantage. Right, and, totally. And that was their value. Right, totally. And and we're like, no, but if with a clipboard, you could take information from more perfect and put it into a, a Windows version of Lotus 1, 2, 3. Why would we want to do that? Yeah, totally. You're just cutting down and, the And mode. so you're totally over your skis, like basically lying that everything works. Yeah, totally. So you get Windows 1 announced in 1983, shipped in 1985. Right, totally. The Office team was an apps team. So how do you build an app? Well, you have to show up at people at work. Yeah, and so totally. you have to buy suits. Like we had to all go get suits <laughs> and get on a plane and go to like Goldman Sachs and explain Windows spreadsheets to them. Right. You know, or go to the Department of Justice, literally and ironically, and explain why using a Windows word processor would be better for them. Or go to McKinsey and explain PowerPoint. Yeah, totally. And so you have to, you have to meet them in their environment, speak their language, and refine and refine and refine and then deliver to them working. Yeah, totally. Like, otherwise, they'll just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, but at least you control your inputs and outputs. Like, at least you're like, you're, you build the app. So it's like your app, it's your Chrome. And in your case, you're, it's, like, it's your platform, too, which is a, which is well, a huge Well, which you'd think would be an advantage, but, like, it was way they, – they had Bill telling us to work on Windows. <laughs> right, yeah. Whereas we couldn't go tell Lotus to go work on Windows. No, of course not. And, yeah, yeah. and they were like, but we already make it for VMS and, and all for Apple yeah, and, totally. Matt and all this stuff. Like, this, is, this one doesn't even exist. And plus, IBM is telling us OS2. Right, totally. So, so like, you control it, but it's, you're, you're walking a much finer line because there's so – I mean, there were, like, 80 word processors in 1985. Yeah, you know, like it's a very competitive market. I grew up in WordStar, by the way. Oh, my, I, my grandfather. I can control XDSF. Yeah, I, absolutely. KKK. I have all those. That's I had it all like down. literally. I think. I, I think like I could pass that on to children. Right. Like, it's like, so ingrained. It's in deep. Me. It's it's that it's, it's got deep. it's gotten all the way to the cellular level. No, I, my first like actual hacking was like inserting printer codes into into the, into the binary of WordStar so you could print in bold and italic depending <laughs> on which line printer you were using. <laughs> um, I didn't have to hack on it, thankfully. By the time I got there, it was we, we, we had an integrated system. But yeah, my, my grandfather, as a, a farmer, was an early adopter of computers because he hated the extra time being spent yeah. doing anything else. Um, and so it's funny, the, the, the analog of, in the beginning, nothing worked. Um, and then you are getting to this point over time where today we complain about like the, the smallest, most trivial of over trivially overcomable bug <laughs> that does not require a soldering iron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It reminds me of the quote, like everything is amazing and nobody's happy. Like every, it's like the, the things have come so far. Um, I tell a, there's a, there's a scale and variance to that comment. I tell a similar story all the time to people here at, at Meta 
I've been here 18 years in January, which is hard to believe. I can almost vote in the metaverse. Um, <laughs> the uh, and uh, people always want to know what it was like in the early days. And I was like, nothing worked. As I tell them, I said, nothing worked. Like yeah. if you wanted, like you had to go to the, you had to drive to the colo to rack the server if you needed the server. If you like needed to get like InfiniBand, you needed to go like call InfiniBand and like make an order and like have them deliver it. Um, and we even have our funny. We don't. We didn't have the ping of death. I do have a funny internet story about Ruchi Sangvi, though, who's oh. a, a, a product manager for the first version of Newsfeed, working with me and Chris Cox, um, and is a South Park Ventures partner and a phenomenally successful woman. Uh, but one day, we the the entire everyone's computers we're all sitting in the office, at California Avenue, sixteen hundred one California Avenue, and uh, nothing's everything's broken, and the site is coming is down. We're getting all these notifications, and nobody can figure out what's going on. And uh, it's been 15, 20 minutes. We can't use our computers. The site is down. We, what's, are we, is it a DDoS? Are we under attack? Like, what's happening? And then we just see one of the network engineer guys start walking through the room and walking through the wall. And then he finally gets to a wall outlet and identifies totally on accident, not her fault. She had been trying to plug her computer into the Ethernet, but had actually just grabbed the wrong cable and plugged the Ethernet into itself. Oh, God. <laughs> and due to a misconfigured ICMP ping system, we ping flooded our servers. And then due to another misconfigured uh, firewall, we had flooded our own uh, production servers <laughs> with ICMP traffic. So we DDoSed ourselves the day Richie plugged the Internet into herself. It's one of my favorite early stories. At Facebook. But yeah, I tell people all the time, nothing worked. When yeah, you yeah. first got to this company, nothing worked. Um, and it was all just like string and duct tape. And now, of course, we look at it today, and it's 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 hard for different reasons, but it's uh, but things broadly do work. Well, and I think that, but that's this one of these things is that technology evolves with these layers of abstraction, and so do companies and organizations, where you you just you abstract it so that people don't have you have a whole platform for developers now, just every day yeah. they they. Things that, like, you know, we didn't have source control. Totally. That's right. Like, we had all this stuff that we, sure. I mean, like, we wrote our own compiler. Like, like it, everything everything takes time, but you have to build it all up. And so that's what a platform is. And yeah. that's what's going on now. And it's exciting to see. Now, one thing I would say that's super interesting, and I don't want to veer us to up, but is that everybody's now seen this movie. Right. So they they know now, like if you have a thing called a platform, like that's where all the economics are. And so there, it's people are very quick to like declare something. This is the next platform. And so it makes people very cynical from the outside looking in like, is this really the next one? I don't think it's going to be. No, there's right, no right, way right. this is going to be a billion people. No way. And and so it makes and then it makes companies have a tough time because like nothing looks bigger than the, the thing, thing that, that they already before. have. Totally. And yeah, it yeah. makes it very hard to like figure out what to do. And and if you're really building a platform, you have to find companies to go and bet on you. Otherwise it's not really a platform. Right. And you know, just having an API and putting it out there isn't a platform. I mean we see this if you look at storage across all the cloud providers, it's not really a platform they're because first, all the they're primarily first party. <laughs> well and also all the companies that use it literally architect their products so that they can yeah. move from one to another. That's right. So nobody has like like <clears throat> platform the famous flywheel, you know, that right. Bill Gates d sort of talked about. Well, he didn't really talk about it as much as <laughs> it got talked about to him. Yeah, he built it, but he, he built <laughs> it. Uh, but like and so so it is this this key of like building abstractions over time is what makes a platform healthy. You know, when Windows first started, it didn't have networking. Yeah. And so then it added networking, it didn't work. And then the internet came along, and then Windows NT, which really had networking that would work. And now you don't, the idea that you'd have a platform without networking is sort of 
insane. Totally. And and that those abstractions, that's what makes all the difference. But people don't like to hear that their lives were hard back in the day. Yeah, well, and, and uh, certainly everyone likes to believe that the time that we live in is a special time. Uh, and I try to fight myself uh, against that, that misconception. Um, it can be the most special time because you're building on top of so many things that came before. Exactly. Um, but you know, 150 years ago, we were still pooping in the woods, so it's not. It's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, we really, yeah. We've all come a long way. I think we can agree. Um, one thing I'm curious about for you. So talking about platforms, so important, and you're right. And there are all these different types. Your Windows was a uniquely challenging platform to build because you had both hardware that you needed to align to support your platform and businesses that you needed to convince to build on top of your platform. So you're building both sides at once, a two-sided platform. Obviously, more and more what we're seeing is that's actually so hard that most companies have gone, if you're building a, um, a software platform, you try to integrate below you as much as you can. Right. Um, and either by using standard web technologies that exist, so it's like, cool, you truly are hardware agnostic, um, and that the web was maybe a truly unique era, which is worth coming back to. Um, or... Uh, you're just building first-party hardware, and you're saying, yep, we're just going to build the hardware. And then once the software platform is established, then maybe you take the Android path and you OEM it out, and you say, like, okay, we've got a whole solution for you guys. Um, I, I'm very curious to hear what you think about new platforms. So you're right. Everyone looks at new platforms uh, with a side eye. For existing companies, it's a famous um, you know, challenge to disrupt yourself in the way that Steve did with the iPod going to the iPhone. Um, but the innovator's dilemma, you know, is a, is a challenge there. Um, do you see platforms today that you think of as the truly ascendant platforms, the platforms that really do have a chance of getting to meaningful scale? I think, you know, as the old saying goes, we live in exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think that, um, there are multiple I don't know. I really should say that up front. Of course I don't know. <laughs> and anyone who says they know is probably just working on one of them. Right. And, it's, and more power to them That's for, right. like, having that, that, the belief. that belief. because The you, belief enough to lie to everyone about you, it. You, you, no, you have to. <laughs> to themselves. I, I mean, you, Most of no, all. You, but you, you just you have to. Yeah. And, and people, you can't be cynical about that yeah, because yeah. You, you have to really, truly believe because even just doing the work is is – it's going to be consuming. Yeah, it's like an act he, of faith. It, it, it's absolutely an act of faith. And Michael Abrash, our chief scientist, who you probably well, we know. Who yeah. you know well, of course, a uh, little black book of, of computer programming, he always talks about the myth of technological inevitability. He's like, you have to believe so much that it will happen that you then make it happen, otherwise it never happens. Like everyone, everyone thinking that eventually it will happen does not cause it to actually happen eventually. Somebody has to say, it's nope, it's me, it's now, it's real, it's happening. And they, and they go do it. Absolutely. And just for the record, those graphics things that I talked about that didn't work, they actually worked because of Michael Abraham. Because of Michael Abraham. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so Absolutely. Both from pushing from the outside and on the inside. Yeah, totally. But but I, I think, like, you know, if you it, – it, you know, there's really two things there. One is just the hardware-software seam and, like, where will we evolve going forward. And, and then there's just, like, w will there be a new platform born out of just completely software sure. at, at this point? And, I actually, I think that there's always going to be room for both. And because I don't know how it's going to end, I'm willing to say that there will be both. But I, I, I think it's important to not underestimate the challenge of existing hardware companies to create a new platform involving yeah. hardware. What Steve Jobs did, of course, there's no superlatives to describe it. But on the other hand, coming out with a phone 
was about the lowest risk way to disrupt yourself imaginable. Totally. Because if the phone completely failed, it just meant the iPod was going to keep going. Right, totally. Because like if nobody shifted their music, and in fact, even today, now there's like a retro movement to like load up your iPod with music or whatever. I can't imagine why other than the long battery life is super cool. But true. But, but like that the disrupting yourself in hardware is enormously difficult for mm. two reasons. One, like you're doing really well and everything looks hard and you just don't want to. And, and the, the other is that you look at what's, a, what's possible through the lens of what you've already done. Mm -hmm. And if you're successful enough, there's two pieces of gravity. One is you're going to make the new one look like the old one. Mm. So you end up with the Microsoft tablet PC in 2000 that was a Windows computer with like tabletness bolted on it. Right. It was never going to work. Nothing. We were not on any trajectory that would have led to an iPad. And or an, or an iPhone. Yeah, totally. Because we also did the same thing. We like made a phone with a start menu. Yeah, I had the AudioVox SMT 5600 Typhoon Windows smartphone. There you go. And I which, quite liked it, but it had a start menu, which was the weirdest thing to have on a phone. And, and in fact, the fact that you could even remember if it was Windows smartphone, Windows. I know they had like, so many for versions. For the pocket that... PC, smart. Oh, I don't even remember. And but, the smart menu, the start menu, for those who don't know on the audio, is the smart, the start menu exists in the lower left-hand corner for a good reason, which is, what's the rule? There's Fitz a, Law. Fitz Law, thank you, because you can go, you can take your mouse down and over to infinity instantly, With every no, time, just, yeah. without even thinking about it. And as soon as you move off that position, which Windows recently did, which I thought was insane. It, absolutely insane. Absolutely the insane. The reason the start menu is in the lower left is so you can use Fitz's Law and be like, yep, infinity's down and left, and I can get to the start menu instantly. Um, and so it makes no sense on a phone where you have a – at the time it was a button. It wasn't a touchscreen. It was a button. So you just had to it press It was a button button. or a stylus. Or a stylus. That's right. There was a stylus. That was, but those are two different models of the phone. I had the button version. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, Anyways. And so, and, and so um, this, the, the problem is in disrupting yourself is, is way, way – it sounds great on paper. Like it sounds very, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal to jump up and down and say we're going to disrupt ourselves. But it's very – and – and I can give Windows 8 stories from now until on how hard that actually is. Yeah, totally. And, and, and then the, the other part of this is, is just that, that the, the, the idea of building something completely new means that you have to move up the abstraction. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of disrupting yourself is the, de is the commoditization of your old right. approach. And so why what Apple really did was they they in a sense commoditized PCs because by by making like this closed environment which many people are very critical of another way of looking at it is it's just a different level of abstraction mm -hmm. than people were used to on a computer. Right. They were used to like well if I want to go and hook up a barcode reader obviously I install a kernel device driver. Totally. And Apple's like yeah let's just invent a new way to do barcode readers <laughs> right, and right, along right. comes you know comes um you know, like, let's do credit card swiping by weird audio signals through that's a, right. you know, why? Well, that's how it, we can make it work. And what's the difference? Now it's at least safe and secure. Right, totally. And and people are very quick to, like, the customers at that point get disrupted. Sure. So, like, a story I always tell is, like, we to set up the idea, which is itself hard for people to understand. But it used to be you got, like, distribution media or a download, and then files got copied on your onto your computer, and you had a program. Now you just use a browser and you never sure. see any of this happening. But but the art of copying those files was like got more complicated over time because like, oh, what language do you need? Sure. Let's copy over that spelling dictionary. Is this like the discounted upgrade version or the right. full copy? And let's check your license number. And like a thousand things all <clears throat> got checked. And and so 
that we had it was all in a big text file for years. <laughs> and this woman on on the office team, you know, five hundred people. It was Teresa Fernandez, and that was her job. And she was an expert. And I'd look, at, I'd go in her office, and I'd look at this thing, and it was like <laughs> these lines were like four hundred characters long, and it were like six hundred commas. It was like list programming, but in comma separated variables. <laughs> and and. So we said, we have to redo this. And well, we should just put it all in a database-like thing and it would be way easier. And it turns out like there was this whole world of people that had reverse engineered the, that format <laughs> and figured out- How to do it. How to do it. It is an implicit API. It was an implicit API, which as you know, like at whatever a computer system does is the API, no matter what it is you document. That's right. And. And we just got so much pushback and torture from corporate administrators. This is in like 1998, 99, the peak of like the transition from individuals buying computers yeah. to corporations buying computers. Right. And so those transitions are in incredible, but it was a whole level of abstraction. Yeah. And it just changed their jobs. It changed how they did everything. And so this notion that you disrupt things, it, you know, it happens in a huge way. Like if you just say, well, we're gonna replace this device with that device. And people just immediately, well, out of hand, reject it. And they, they start, they immediately, you could always do the predictions of how this works. Like, uh, well, my muscle memory is this. That was the totally. Blackberry, Blackberry Blackberry to iPhone. And, you know, they were selling the Blackberry for like eight more years. That's right. And everybody, you everybody, quote, had moved on to touch. I and, didn't move to the iPhone until iPhone 3 because I was so good at typing the Blackberry. I probably yeah. still have never quite recaptured that speed, but it turned out there's a lot more. Than I mean, me. I wrote some of my best rants like, on, <laughs> on the pager-sized Blackberry because it so, worked in an airplane. That's right. That's like, right. You know, it's just AM radio bouncing around in the stratosphere or yeah, whatever. Yeah, totally. And so, so – I think that it's it's always going to be a slog, mm -hmm. and it takes like a true believer. But there, like, I am not going to sit here today and say the iPhone is the pinnacle of hardware achievement, right, totally. and there will be not another device. Because if you look at just where the innovation, like, so what happened was for for about twenty years, the whole of the computing industry, like, basically was led by software, right? And and like whatever Microsoft produced, you know, whatever Intel produced, Microsoft taketh away, was right. the old saying. And so if they could double it, we would just be twice as slow or yeah. whatever. And, and, and you know, what what is happening now, when you look at sensors and at cameras and at optics and at displays and battery life and, and also chips, all these things, well, obviously devices can be completely different. Totally. Now, the iPhone took advantage of that to some degree. Right. And the Apple Watch to an even more degree, but the software didn't fundamentally change a around that. And the interaction model, you know, tweaked, but you could sort of describe it as like a shell. Yeah, totally. Like, like it's just a veneer over what you used to do. But this is also part of the cost of platforms, which is that as they mature, the example that you gave of, you know, this text file, implicit API, becoming this huge lift to change, happens to every platform as well. Yeah. And so now that you've got uh, iPhones and watches, it's uh, software developed on top of those things, has certain expectations that's hard to move, and consumers who are using those things have developed certain muscle memory expectations yeah. that's hard to move. And so the thing that, that starts out as a growth of a new platform becomes sclerotic at some point and boxes itself in, and it like almost can't be disrupted from within because there's no possible way within that framework, within that structure, to actually improve it enough to, for that to be worthwhile. Well, I mean, this for me is a an old story, yeah. but it's super, super important to that that particular point, which was Office itself in in 2007. So we had reached a point <clears> in Office 
which is a point that everybody will joke about and laugh. And I'm skipping Clippy right now. I know you that. got Clippy on the. This is our first ever live uh, recording of one of these uh, Boss to the Future episodes. And uh, you've, Rock, Rock and Clippy is so on point. We're going to get to AI later. So that's yeah. a, it'll be a relevant t- uh, sweatshirt. But, but we had reached a point where, like, customers were like, there's nothing you could possibly add. And it was this constant refrain of, like, I use 1% of the product. Yep. And we had the refrain back, which is, you use this 1%. Everyone uses, this other uses right. the other 1%. And together, it's 100%. And we're all happy. And, and the problem was, we, even if we could dream up, like, the coolest new feature, we literally, it couldn't fit on the screen. Yeah, totally. Like, there were, the, the menus were, like, filling the screen. The dialogue boxes were filling the screen. The dialogue boxes had tabs. Right. We, there was, and so we, we did what was, like, an unbelievable risk, which yeah. is just, like, we completely changed the user, the user experience model. Yeah. Now, to kids today, that it still looks like rearranging the deck chairs, or they, they don't even see the difference. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and and that was our lesson was that people our our philosophy was that people will not know the difference in the future because huh. the they it's just that in the it grew up in this era and people forget this but like if you got a job in 1994 and the job required you to use Excel, first you probably said that on your resume you knew how to use Excel. Like right. you wrote on your resume totally. skilled in Excel. And and to do that, you went to like classes, like you went to you like certification, USA yeah, totally. and spent like nights for a month going and learning Excel. And so moving around commands, even the most subtle, and we once moved yeah. the page, what was it called? The um, the page, the set page area command uh. in Excel, which is like, which part of the spreadsheet when you print it, do you want to print? We moved that from like the file print menu to like a better place, yeah. we thought. And, like, it was the number one support call, and it crushed, like, the world of people printing out <laughs> spreadsheets. It was a nightmare. So we redid the whole – this was, like – we viewed it very much as disrupt ourselves. Yeah. Like, by do, and the whole thing was, like, oh, my God, you know, if they screw this up, then open office will be take over because it's old and familiar. And it was a huge deal. And, and it is – it's unbelievably difficult to pull off what, what you said. I mean, if, if Apple tries to come out with, like, a square phone and stuff – you know, I, making something up randomly, you yeah. know, like it's going to be very, very hard for them totally. if, if it really changes the interaction model. Now, they are brilliant at like explaining to you the problem that you don't know you had and that yeah. this is an invention or whatever. But these things are people always underestimate the cliches of disrupt yourself. Yeah, this is true. And, and there's all these subtle things that people don't think about. Um, these implicit APIs, the screen size, the screen form factor and, and is, yeah. a, is a good example of one. Um, I'm, one thing that's interesting to me also when I think about Apple um, and the, they're the mature platform of the day. And to some degree, we talk, to App, we talk about Apple today and the way we talked about Microsoft for the 20-year period that, that you know, they were the forefront and the center of all software development. Um, in between was this kind of cool web era, the Cornell memo, famous uh, internet uh, uh, kind of kickoff memo at, at um, Microsoft uh, over the f- ensuing years. I really came into this industry thinking the web was going to be was was the the once and future platform. Yeah, yeah. All things would be web, um, and it's so funny today. There's this renaissance of people being like, you know what's great? Native desktop apps on a PC, <laughs> which I'm loving. It's like, yeah, they, they're the performance is amazing. They're so snappy. They respond. The clipboard works. They respond <laughs> instantly. There's a better chance that you're on Ethernet. The internet's amazing. Um, it is so funny to think about how you know, in our area, we were like, oh, all clients are going to be thin clients. It's all going to be the server. And uh, and now there's like a, a pretty clear that all of these platforms are going to coexist, um, and no, no platform ever really dies. All platforms kind of coexist. Um, 
maybe they get replaced. You're right. Like there's a replaceability that you can do, but something is going to take the place of that job that somebody was doing. Um, I want to move on to AI. Before I do, I do want to get one kind of take from you. I think AI is an interesting platform story as well. One take I wanted to ask for you out is on this platform topic. What do you think about VR and AR? And you can be honest. I know I know you know my work, but I'm curious what you think of those platforms. Well, I I think that they're part of the most exciting part of what's going on in computing. And I, I think um, what you've done with the the latest glasses and showing how you can yeah. bring these technologies and be much more seamless and in a in a form factor that people can readily adapt or adopt to, I I think it's it's still early and and but there is no. There is absolutely no doubt that the elements that are in the products today and the technologies that make them up are going to be some aspect of yeah, what we're all right. using in the future because they solve way too many problems. That yeah. like I the, like people sit there and go, oh, I hate going to meetings where I'm staring down at my phone. Okay, well, there's going to be a, yeah. a thing. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to strap a screen to my face, really, because if you would have told me in 1990 that you'd be staring at a five-inch slab of glass at totally. every meeting, I would have said that's the rudest thing I ever heard, and I'm never going to do that. Yeah, totally. And, and so, you know, and then and then you know, I lived through. I mean. People will think this is insane, but we went through a whole period of time where it's like, are we going to allow meet laptops in meetings or not allow <laughs> laptops in meetings? You were in school when that was a debate. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah. like, I mean, there were professors who didn't allow laptops. Didn't allow laptops. Harvard, sure. Harvard Law School, I, this, I can't even make this up. Like, the first computer I used was called an Osborne. It was this 24-pound, sure. ran 64K CPM, two 90K drives. The second issue of the Osborne magazine, which you every back in that day, everything you knew came from magazines. The second issue was a picture of a student in Harvard Law School who was in trouble for trying to bring a computer into law school. <laughs> now you literally that's how you do it. You take your exams, you use Westlaw, yeah, you do totally. everything. And so anytime someone says we'll never do that, it's never going to be socially acceptable. I just I, I literally hold up the, that <laughs> issue the of Osborne, magazine. Osborne magazine and say there was a time when you weren't allowed to use computers for work. So. I, I just think it's early. And the other thing I think is every platform, the key is that, of course, it, it doesn't do anything, but it enables people to yeah. do things. And if you're in the, still in the period where, like, you know, what is it, what can you do with it that everybody wants to go do? That's right. And, and people overuse this killer app expression, which is not really true. Like, there's never been a, an actual yeah. killer app. Like, everybody knew about spreadsheets before computers. Sure. It was like before the PC, like, there was already an Apple II. There was a spreadsheet. Word sure. processors exist as standalone. But there is this notion of sort of a thing that's in critical mass that people really all just want to go gravitate towards. Yeah, to. totally. And in many ways, just to bring it to AI, like, the large language model itself, people might say as a platform, that's a debate worth having yeah but absolutely like the chat gpt ui became an oh, app yeah, that everybody right. said oh I, this is an app i can use that's right yeah, yeah and and so you know that's always like the best play you can have if you're trying to build a platform now they have to go do the muddy sharp tools dirt right. flying part of building a platform which yeah. is vastly harder with ai than people are sort of thinking about like yeah. it's one thing to have an api and you can ship 24K tokens to it and have something come back. It's another thing for all of that to work the same way five years from now. Yeah, that's it's right. It's another thing to have it, you know, you change behavior and have everybody use it 
and not just ignore it. Yeah, that's and, right. Well, and we're already seeing that with you know early startups that we're trying to build on top of various versions of uh, whether it be uh, OpenAI or other things. And those underlying platforms are, just, are moving so quickly. Those startups get clobbered, not out of any kind of malice, but just because the thing is moving so quickly. There's no stability in the target for your API. I think it's, I just uh, I want to. Actually, I want to transition this to AI. Before I do, I want to say the uh, on the AR VR thing, for me, the the kind of maturity of the mobile phone ecosystem, the fact that mobile phones are significantly the same today that was what you had five, six years ago, is actually what gives me a lot of confidence that there is another platform to follow because there are fundamentally missing capabilities oh, yeah, yeah. that we know the phone can't do. It won't do. It's not available. It can't have always on context and sensors in the world. And so the question is how to unlock that. And what increasingly we've come to believe, especially this last year, but although to be fair to Michael Abrash and frankly myself, we believe this for a while, AI is one of the key missing pieces. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, to being able to take advantage of the, those new form factors. Um, I, I think it's so fitting that you're wearing this, the Clippy hoodie. I was definitely going to mention this. Uh, Clippy, <laughs> some of the kids listening may not know uh, the story of Clippy, the legend that is Clippy. Um, an early attempt. Uh, at an assistant is is the answer, like the idea of, of being able to say, hey, what do we what do we think this person's trying to accomplish? At the time, the technology was a little premature, let's say, and so it ended up being the most annoying part of your computer, constantly asking you if you were trying to do something that you were. For, I, I had Clippy, I remember Clippy, who was constantly asking me if I was trying to write a resume. Right. And I was like, sir, I am 14. I am, I assure, <laughs> I, I assure you, I am not now, nor am I for the foreseeable future trying to write a resume. Um, one of the phrases I've stolen from you is writing is thinking, uh, a thing that you and I share, uh, and I've written a blog post about it where I link to your blog post about it, where I link to your write-up about it. Um, one of the things you and I share is, is a belief that there's a, a fundamentally important mental process that happens when you go about writing, because writing forces you to serialize what are otherwise these kind of super interconnected network of thoughts into a format, a structure that is then also has to be rigorous enough that somebody else can read that, load the same mental model into their brain, and then test it and respond to it. Um, but here we have now a tool that one of the major use cases of it for these large language models is writing. Um, how does that affect you? How, how do you think about that? Where writing is this important part of your process, and now you've got this kind of writing assistant. How do you think about that? I couldn't. I, it's the most exciting thing ever. <laughs> Good. No, I mean it's the it's the to me this is one of the stranger things. But it, what you're seeing is disruptive technology at work mm -hmm. because like I I give you a very concrete example. When I was a chemistry major in college, the Mac came out, and this student at Harvard. Um, Stu Rubenstein wrote early, early 1984-ish, 5-ish Mac software hmm. for making chemical drawings. Oh, like cool. if you took organic chemistry, you got the sticks sure, and the balls and you glued them all together. And he made Mac software. It's called uh, ChemDraw. The most unbelievable piece of software. Hmm. And it instantly became like this is how you write journal papers. This huh. is how you – it was like um, – it's still today the, the uh, key part of chemistry. And, and at Cornell in the basement, there was a draftsman. Like we called him draftsman. Yeah. But it was a draftsman. And if you were writing a paper for science or nature or organic chemistry or whatever, you brought your model, huh. and the human being sat there with the model and then drew it. Huh. And ten days later, you would get, like, a camera-ready version of – and, you know, and it, it, like I think about that now, and I'm like, well, now all the professors are just doing this them, themselves. Yeah, and, totally. And, and, like – and I was like, but that's not bad. Like, we're not going to go back no. <laughs> to that. And then people used to complain about computers because, oh, this is taking important time out of my general when I was working yeah. at the missile factory. That's what I affectionately called the job that I had this summer. <laughs> the, the missile factory. factory. <laughs> at the missile factory. And, like, he has important general things to do. He doesn't have time to type. 
and you're like, well, that's just ridiculous. Or lawyers. Lawyers used to not type right. at all. And so when we used to go show up and try to sell them word processors, they, the first thing was like, I don't know how to type. And now, like, you just type. Yeah, totally. And, and so I, I do think that people are, are immediately worried that, like, professional writers – are, are like the most likely to say the writing sucks. Or the <laughs> writing. But the thing is, most people can't write. That's right. Yeah, totally. And so like, it's like it, work. it takes it, work to like, do it. Like it takes work and it's hard and it's a skill, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the right ideas. Yeah, totally. Like I, I, like I don't know how to build things, but by gosh, I went to Home Depot and I have a bunch of Ryobi tools yeah, and totally. I can try. Yeah, totally. And, and no matter what you say, I'm better than I am without them. Right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I, I might not build, frame a house, but, you know, I can cut a piece of wood and make a sawhorse or do some basic kind of things. And so, so I think that it's incredibly exciting that – and the, the progression is super easy. First, there was a typewriter, and, you know, nobody complained about typewriters. And, and then word processors came out. My freshman year in college, um, my class was divided into two. Half the class – half the department – everybody had to take freshman English – and half of us had to use a word processor, and half of us were not allowed to. Huh. And we had to go to a special room and use these <laughs> eight-inch floppy disks and all this crap. And I, w I came with my Osborne, my 24-pound thing, and I was going to use it no matter what. I had to go to the dean to get permission to use a word processor for my writing class. Amazing. And, and like, they, did, they were all concerned that the writing wouldn't be as good or whatever. And so they were doing all these qualitative analyses of drafts and iterations. And and it was like, this is complete nonsense. And the Mac came out spring, and then everybody's I mean, had them, and there's nothing done. they yeah, could do. Totally. And I actually talked to people at Cornell in this writing program about doing this with AI. Huh. Because I'm like, they're all going to use it. Totally. Like, and the thing is, and I even tried the angle of like, except for the kids who can't afford it. Yeah, that's right. Like, like, so why don't we just set up a program like where everybody has access to, totally. to using this? Because it's and like you wouldn't say they couldn't use spell checking or grammar checking, yeah. you know, and it's just so and then you think about English as a second language or writing it for a different audience or all these things. And so th it, it's just incredible. And it's yeah. only going to be better. And like, yes, there, you will be able to tell that it's AI writing. But you know what? Like we, we did a special thing in in the Microsoft in Outlook. To like so that word using Word as your mail editor so that autocorrect worked. Yeah, and like the whole goal was so you could send mail without typos. Which is it wasn't like a bunch of people went, oh my god, that's cheating. No, you totally. can't have mail. Mail has to have typos. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Like even poor Steve Ballmer, who like who didn't use punctuation. Right. Like <laughs> by using Word as his editor, all of a sudden his sentences end in period because he used three spaces, <laughs> and so then he ended up with punctuation and right. capital letters at the beginning of sentences, which was just like not his style. And then we're like, oh my God, robots are writing Steve Ballmer's emails. We don't know what he's gonna say. And Bill, <laughs> who used bullets, but he used like asterisks. Yeah. All of a sudden had bullets. Had bullet points. Yeah, totally. That's funny. I mean, I think uh, I think of this all the time in the context of of uh, computation. You know, when the calculator calculator used to be a person. Right. A calculator was a job that a person had, and then and then you know they're not anymore. Nobody, nobody like thinks we should go back to not having calculators. We have word calculators now, yeah. um, and and uh, I think I do think it's a good thing. Although I'm I'm sympathetic to the degree to which it changes people's worlds, and I, I understand that that can be scary. Um, well, I just want to, like there's really two aspects to it. One is the you know job disruption is a very real thing, and totally. job skills and requires training, and that that's a whole. Part and we of should it. have a more robust program for training people and, and all of that stuff. But the other half of it is the tool of empowerment. Access, it's like the yeah. bicycle of the mind. It is. Steve Jobs said. Like, like. 
taking people like if you take the average person doing like math stuff, whatever that might be, and then say, hey, we really want you to write a document explaining what you did. All of a sudden now that person can translate what's in their head. Totally. More effectively. You know, and it's not just fixing spelling errors, but it's helping them with sentences and organization. And why would you not do that? Totally. On the on the last podcast I did with uh, Jan LeCun and Joelle Pinot, who lead our FAIR team here, they talked about one of the theories that they've been developing is we've all heard of Conrad Tversky's System 1 and System 2 thinking, which is an important concept in how we think about AI reasoning and things like that. They have this idea that they call System 3, which is um, how at the, inter- at the species level, we actually collaborate uh, and how important that is. Like meaningful work in our society has for a long time been done by groups of people. Right. Meaning sci- meaningful scientific discovery is not only usually carried out by more than one person, even if one person did the work, it takes another person to validate, verify, and convince the world that it's real. Um, and everything is structured in pairs. Um, you know, I've talked to people who are in Hollywood. All great writing is happening in groups. It's, 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 you know, even if there's one person who's the, who's the main script writer, they're, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Um, screenings of, of, of films are done do you understand this? Did you understand this piece? Um, so much of what we do is a collaborative process. Right. Almost nothing that I write gets out without somebody, usually Tatton, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, looking at it and, t- and giving points of view on it. Um, and for some people, for a lot of people, that's inaccessible. Just having somebody get another pair of eyes on a thing is hard yeah. to do. Uh, and that alone, so now suddenly you're, if your first draft quality now has second draft right. quality level, where do you get the final product in well, the same amount of time? Well, that was literally the exact finding of that freshman English Oh, is that right? Was that what they found was that the first drafts were worse using a computer, but the final drafts were way better. There you go. Because yeah. the cost of iterating with a typewriter yeah. was so high sure people do it so so there's no doubt that this this just increases the quality forever and also as part of writing is thinking it is very hard for most people to get others to review that's why there are acknowledgments in books thank you for reviewing this because like you don't want to read it more than one time but (laughs) you know like you you have to i i was thankful i had volunteers proofing hardcore software posts as i'm and there's still i'm I'm going through recording them all now for voice and i'm like oh my god how many typos can i have in one (laughs) thing because i can't read my own i literally I you don't sh- see typos because like, yeah, yeah. I, I see what I intended to be there. Totally. I don't see what. Yeah, yeah. I, and so, I mean, I got a lot of grief for writing a lot um, at, when I was at Microsoft, and I still do. Like, people make fun of me constantly, like, for, <laughs> my tweets are too long even. And, and But but this idea that that everybody gets empowered with this incredibly important tool, yeah. like, it is it is the most compelling thing yeah. now whether this is a new platform or a feature of other platforms yeah. or how it gets integrated very important it's, it's big questions that's like right. it's yeah. not it's not the slam dunk to me like i, yeah. I think that there's a lot i mean because you could have looked at tcp ip in 1974 or whatever and go that's the next platform the company that pioneers that and then 3com comes along and becomes a billion dollar enterprise yeah. but like it's not where the money is now yeah. on the internet you know and it's potentially a completely new form of platform. You know, every time we think we found all the f- types of platforms, yeah. like this is one where it's like, if I, what if, you know, the, currently the platforms tend to be who controls the input and the output, right? The screen and the and the and the keyboard and the mouse and the touch screen. Um, this is one where it's like the same, but like now the input output is just like uh, it's text. Uh, I think of this all the time um, from a standpoint of how many jobs I'd like to do that really requires something to have system level access. It's one of my things, again, I'm enthusiastic with the PC for. Man, on the PC, at least I could build 
an AI assistant right. that could control and drive all the Windows pieces. I can't do that on the mobile phone. And that's maybe a major I, factor I, that cripples I, AI. In, in fact, like it's a, it could be a major thing that even Apple putting aside all the silliness with you know with like whether you should be able to use default maps or yeah. whatever. But there's like a very real thing which is like someone is going to build like an AI assistant. Like even today, totally. you know, we're allowed I'm allowed to talk about these but like Google Assistant like I can't really use it on an iPhone. That's right. But like it, you know, I, so I have to wait for, uh, and this is not like a, a you know, a, perf, a, a preference or trying to be like anti Apple in any way. Yeah, I no. just, it's a better. It, they have this technology today that controls my house. Totally. Or Alexa, the yeah. same way. And so that does create an opening yeah, for for, sure. for for a platform. And so, you know, the points of openness in this abstraction level that platforms today have do contribute to who wins in the next one. Yeah, that's I right. I mean, you know, like I had this horrible offsite once about the rise of Linux and what Microsoft was going to do about it. And like the key bootstrapping thing for Linux was that BIOS that Bill went and uh, worked yeah. on and got everybody in Taiwan to go build. And I remember I, I didn't realize what I said at the time, but it really, really pissed him off. And I went, Bill, you have to look at Linux and go, congratulations, you won. Yeah, totally. And I could just see this look on. It his was face. not a it was not a welcome sentiment at that the time. That was not how he thought about it, like <laughs> right, at the right. moment, and which was true. Like, and it was that openness that enabled the yeah. leapfrog that took place. Yeah, because they had a common uh, boot operating, you know, system. Environment. They could just run on the commodity hardware. They could go right against the commodity hardware. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I'm sad to do it. We are out of time. I'm gonna have to have you back because we just. We, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Um, the we, we didn't even get to talk about rare camera lenses, which I, we, we didn't. A, a rare, common. Uh, there's not many people I know who actually have that shared interest. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I want to make sure. Where can people find you? People got to follow you. They got to follow Hardcore Software. Um, where on the internet should they look for you? Well, I, thank you for that. I didn't come here to plug that. Just I know you didn't. I, oh, I appreciate I'm, I'm, that. I want them to. That's, um, that's but hardcore software is um, on Substack, and so it's just hardcore software, all one word. Which really was the ad that I answered that so I sent my resume. It said, "Come be hardcore." It does not. It's a little cringe when you read it today, <laughs> um, but it does talk about free drinks, which was a big Microsoft thing in the '80s. I also want to say, by the way, Microsoft in the '80s. Look up if you have if you're somewhere near a computer. Look at the logo for Microsoft. It was the it was the hardcore logo. It, it, man, it looks like it was a metal logo. It's, it's total metal, man. <laughs> it's awesome. It really looks like you'd see it painted on the side of a tank. Yeah, like, totally. It's, 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 a, it's metal. Microsoft logo at the time was hardcore. To like be the fair. M is like slanted, the, so and sharp, shit, like man, razor sharp M's. <laughs> Um, and they can find you on Twitter. On I'm, on, I'm on X a lot. I, X, sorry. I, I, you know, I hate to sound like a like like a, 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 a old person, but like I live for old camera lenses on Facebook, yep. and I get into the Microsoft group on Facebook of X Microsoft is like where I spend a huge amount of time because every day someone has some old thing that they surface. Yeah, you connected me to some good some good groups on there. Um, okay, everybody, thank you for listening. You can listen to Boz to the Future wherever you enjoy your fine podcasts. You can leave me thoughts and feedback at Tank on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, until next time.